How do you explain the unexplainable? That warmth that fills you up from the inside out? Does it come from the air, the sea, the sun, the people? Or is it something that can't be put into words? Because Aruba is more than a beautiful island. It's a feeling that brings out a happier, sunnier you. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your next visit at aruba.com. This episode is brought to you by the NHL on TNT. When it comes to hockey, the Stanley Cup playoffs are built different. Experience the intensity and insanity on the ice and off it. Starting May 5th on TNT and TBS. Get ready for seven game rounds of knockdowns, dragouts, pressure, and agony as teams go head to head without ever letting up. The Stanley Cup playoffs are known for more than just a few cracked ribs and black eyes. Pushing through pain is the name of the game. With so much edge of your seat action, you'll refuse to shave or change your sweater. Don't say we didn't warn you. Ready to feel the rush? Watch the Stanley Cup playoffs beginning May 5th on TNT and TBS. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. <laughs> Welcome to Honey Hole Hangout. You buy the whole seat, but you'll only need the edge. Very nice, <laughs> nice. Dude. That was great, dude. Oh, uh, okay. Do your intro, but I. Oh, remember, we can't say the big game. The big game. We no, can't you say. Can't, the, you, you can't you, say the actual name of the big game. But you can say the big game. You can't say the big game. The name of the actual big game is copyrighted. Oh, really? Yeah. So do not say it. Really? Really, really. That's why all the you'll hear a bunch of commercials say, are you ready for the big game this weekend? But they never actually say the S word. Wait, is that true? It's 100% true. So but we're, we're going to be breaking super-sized cereal bowls. <laughs> <laughs> you can say that. Okay, the super-sized cereal bowls. That just sounds awful. I mean, yeah. can you guys hear me? Yeah, yeah, we can hear you. You're there. Dude, I have like a mute button on this headset that apparently doesn't work. Oh, so mm-hmm. keep going. Okay, well, welcome to Honey Hole Hangout, the podcast about hunting, fly fishing, and misadventures in the outdoors. I'm your host Landon, and I'm here with Zach, Cliff, and Ian, and we have a great interview uh, at the end of the show that we already recorded with Bo, who runs a Texas Fly Fishing and Brew Festival in Mesquite, Texas, which is an event that we will be attending, and uh, he's going to chat with us about the event. Um, you know, we asked him our normal uh, interview questions about how he got into fly fishing, which was a super interesting story. Um, and uh, he tells us, you know, what's going to be going on at the event. We're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. So if any of our listeners are there and want to come by and say hi, we'll be there. We'll be selling some stickers and hats. Um, uh, I have two speaking engagements, if you're interested in hearing that, about uh, the 1% rule, which we did a podcast on. And uh, we're going to be doing uh, many podcasts throughout the whole event. We're going to interview other vendors um, and speakers at the show, about 15, 20 minutes each. And then we're going to blend them all into one super episode of the whole event. So we'll have uh, as many as many cool guests as we can all lined up, and then we'll ha- release that that uh, podcast and the event is february 27th and 28th and the information will be linked in the show notes 
Um, but you guys can can twenty dollars entrance fee for the day. Yep, yep, that's correct. And you can buy tickets there or pre buy them online. Um, but if you guys want to hear more about the event and the COVID precautions they're taking and all that good stuff, then uh, you guys can hang out to the end of the episode and hear what Bo has to say. Um, yeah. Zach, you went fishing last weekend. I did go fishing last weekend. How was it? It was pretty good. Uh, we hooked a couple of fish. I mean, it was... You went to our... You went to the, the spot? Yeah. It was slow. Uh, the weather was perfect. It was like 70 degrees outside, mm-hmm. sunny. Like, I actually just took a little nap on, like, a little rock bar for a bit because it was so nice. nice. Did you guys stack some rocks? Uh, we stacked a couple, but oh. not intentionally. Just kind of, like, laying there. Mm. I was just stacking a Making pillows? I made some pillows, actually. Yeah, it was kind of comfy, nice. you know? Um, yeah, we, uh, Kendall hooked into one early on, and I was like, oh, man, this is going to be on all day long. And then um, nothing more for a while. And then I caught, I hooked into like this really like kind of dinky looking guy and a little rainbow. I pulled him in, I got him to net. Uh, but then other than that, I didn't even get another strike after that. Really? Same thing with Kendall. Yeah. It was like, she got one strike that was pretty solid. And then I got one to net. And then other than that, it was just slow. We were out there for like three and a half, four hours. No bass either? No bass either. But also the that bass run, there were people like swimming and kayaking and stuff like that as well. Mm. So we, um, and that could was have there a bunch of police cars out there? There were. I I think I know why. Yeah. Do you want to say why on the podcast, or do you want to save that for later? Is it podcast appropriate? I don't know. I don't know why. That's why I'm asking you. Oh it's no, I don't your, think it's podcast appropriate. Uh, okay. You know. Okay. All right. Well, that's that's going to be future exclusive content. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Well. I, I heard about something, and I didn't know if that was the same day you were out yeah, there. Yeah, it was. Yeah, we were out there. They had the caution tape up everywhere, and um, and they had people like police cars walking around looking for stuff. It was weird. Okay. All you right. You can't go into what it was? I don't know exactly what it was, but I heard some rumors online and on that Texas Fly Fishing Facebook page. They're kind of like, oh, I was out in that area, too, when I sold the cop cars and the this and that. And they like, found oh. a body? I think so. Mm. Yeah, but I don't know any any other details other than that. Well, we'll we'll move on from that. Um, yeah, Maybe that'll be a creature watch in like a hundred years. Did uh, you guys? <laughs> the ghost. <laughs> no. Did you? Uh, did uh, Cliff? Did you do anything fun? Or Ian? Did y'all do? Did you guys do any hunting or fishing or outdoors up, activities? I went up and uh, helped at a helped out at the bird farm this past weekend. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, did. Uh, clean hundreds of birds again no i actually didn't have to clean any birds this past weekend but i did have to band and cage like 150 your cleaning skills are gonna start to decrease if you don't keep up on those hundred birds a weekend cleaning i mean i still feel fairly confident i can get a full <laughs> bird in under two minutes um well that's cool ian have you done anything fun fishing wise or outdoor man activities? i'm going i'm I'm going on Friday, I think. Oh, awesome. So, nice, dude. So nice. probably, if, I, if you guys are free, I'll probably be able to trout fishing on Friday. Okay. Okay. Or just Some people have to work, draw. Ian. You should just do it every hey, single day. <laughs> every day. Yeah, I woke up at, actually, I woke up at 7.30, but yeah. Oh. So. I'll call you when I, I'll call you in the morning when I wake up. It's earlier <laughs> than that. Do you make breakfast? No, just coffee. I'm going to call Ian when I wake up in the morning and be like, hey, go fish. 
I can't. So you go. <laughs> what I want you to do, Ian, is for during this time, I want you to call me every morning and give me like a presidential briefing, like the <laughs> Navy does. <laughs> Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa! How, how would you like that to go down, Cliff? Like, I want, good morning. I just want you to to call me in the morning, give me the weather report for San Antonio, <laughs> not Austin, where you live, <laughs> and. uh Tell me my schedule for the day. <laughs> yeah. Maybe give me a little bit of, like, maybe give them some updates, like, just what's going on, you know, yeah, like, some highlights. Like world news. Yeah. Like, yeah, you can no, be my own no, personal Alexa. No, he should, he should give you a, <laughs> he should start your day off with a neat things in nature article every morning, just to get the, just yeah, to you get can the do today on. in conservation news. <laughs> That'll get Cliff fired up. I'll be like, today we have, uh. Clear skies, uh, low humidity, ten uh, percent pollution, and seventy percent coronavirus. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> moving on. Next, uh, two possums uh, mold a raccoon this morning. <laughs> these <laughs> these are the these San Antonio are... at nine a.m. Dog deck catchers or animal control responded. <laughs> these no. are the stories that I want in the morning. Yeah, I'll be yeah. I'll animal be con- looking for your call. Tomorrow morning. I'm kind of jealous. Animal control responded, said the possums and the raccoons got into HEB, but were quickly recovered and no one was hurt. All right, moving on. (laughs) (laughs) On to the sports desk. (laughs) Yeah, sports. Speaking of sports, uh, there is an event this weekend. The Super Cereal Bowl. The Super Cereal Bowl, which this podcast is going to come out after that event. So we're going to give our... Predictions we, before predictions. Yeah, yeah we're going to give our predictions, and then you guys can criticize us if we're right or wrong or whatever. We also got questions uh, about how we like to, since a lot of us have Traegers, how we like to cook things up for Super Bowl Sunday and what our go-tos are the if we do anything like that. bake oven. So we're going to tell you what we, what we plan on doing for this Sunday, but you won't hear it until after the game. That's correct. And then next week we'll tell you if we actually did it. That sounds good, right? Yeah, yeah, that sounds yeah. good. Well, first, what's your prediction? Well, I think the Vegas spread is uh, Chiefs minus three. So are we going Vegas spread so or are we close. just picking? Not, I, 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 I pictured Chiefs minus three. On a big game, they're not going to make – they're not going to put a huge spread. And the NFL is – games are a lot closer than college, so you don't get those, like, crazy spreads. So um, what I think – I think the Bucks are going to pull it. Why? And I know you're a football expert, and this is a football podcast. I just want to—I just want to know what you have to say about it. I am not a football expert <laughs> at all. Have you watched the game this year? Nope. <laughs> uh, so you guys can take your money and bet on Cliff's prediction. Yeah, it, there's a thing of uh, beginner's luck, like the less you know. know there, it, Freakonomics did a podcast about it a long time ago. Yeah, like there's no the pressure. You, yeah, the worst, the least you know. Sometimes it can be a benefit. Mm. Yeah. All right, Cliff. To some of these, you things. sold yourself. Let's let's see. What's so your... I think Bucks are going to win. I think the Bucks are going to win. I'm not going to say by how much or anything like that. No, no, but, you have to. That's just part of it. Yeah. But I think uh, like seven, ten. No, I'm not going to say a point two. Spread. It's going to be by safety. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and you can bet your life savings on that. It'll be tied until the last minute. You can short stock it like short. Whatever. Short stock yeah, like, short like, stock game like GameStop. Game there you go. <laughs> um, I think the, the Buccaneers are going to win it. Um, I think because 
I think the I, and of course I don't know anything about anything, but I think the Bucks are supposed to have like a pretty good defense, like a tough mm-hmm. defense, and I think that's going to be able to hold Mahomes back a little bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that Mahomes is a phenomenal quarterback and great. I still think he's young. And it, although he already has one Super Bowl under his belt and an MVP and an MVP, but I and think your boy MVP. But I think that, I mean, so does Brady and mm-hmm. all of it. Yeah, no, I'm not no, knocking Brady. No. I mean, I, I no, do. We see, could, but I don't see Brady like the only Nick against Brady I see right now is his age. But I don't think that it has slowed him down or it's hindering him. I don't think he's hit that cliff point yeah. yet. Mm-hmm. So I think he still has a few more years left in him. And I think that he's hungry for it and he's trying to prove that mm-hmm. it's not like... It's not just Belichick. I think I think that he already proved that it wasn't a Belichick-Brady yeah. thing. I think that he's proven that Brady can stand <clears throat> oh, for on his sure. own. For sure. But I think this will cement that. And I think he's hungry for that. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be Chiefs by. I'm going to go bold. I'm going to say fifty. I'm going to say twelve. Chiefs by twelve. Oh wow. Chiefs by twelve. Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna pick the Chiefs. Uh, I have a little bit of bias. I'm a huge Mahomes fan. Yeah. Reckham Tech. Yeah. Um, and I I'm picking that. I if I was gonna bet ten dollars, I would also bet on the Chiefs because I do think. With money at stake, that's who I would pick as well. Mm-hmm. I think the game's going to come down to the defensive line uh, on for uh, Tampa Bay. I will say. Because, because uh, they have a stout defensive line, and if they can get pressure on Mahomes all game, I think it's going to be very interesting. I think that the Chiefs have an advantage because they're uh, – Play card looks like a Waffle House menu, and that plays a lot into like psychi- psychology. Right, because you can't take down a Waffle House. Exactly, no. they're always open. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, there's <laughs> no shutting open. it down. Like, yeah, um, yeah. But I don't know. I don't. I don't know anything about football. Yeah, I'd in be all honesty. I'd be honest. Being as big of a Mahomes fan as I am, I'd be pretty heartbroken if the Chiefs lost. But with that being said. The only consolation that I'll have is that Brady wins, cements his place, and he got it done. His criticism has always been that he's a product of Bill Belichick, and he's a product of the system. And my consolation will be that he wins and proved the haters wrong. Right. See if, Which uh, is what from, I, I think that he's hungry for it. Yeah. No, he's always hungry. He's been in the Super Bowl like, right, like but what, I think 60, 70 times? I think this is yeah. something that he's truly just – absolutely hungry for mm-hmm. like needs it to happen mm-hmm. so I, I think that that plays into it now to be honest if there's an opportunity to go hunting during the, the super cereal bowl mm-hmm. i totally would go hunting <laughs> that's yeah exactly if, if the chiefs weren't in it i'd be going to big ben no, even if it was like i'm watching the chiefs it could have been anyone i got a chief jersey yeah. like I, it, even if it was like a falcons game yeah. which coming from atlanta that if I had to pick an NFL team, that is who I'd normally. Yeah, even if they were in it, I would still choose to go hunting. No, I, I don't care. Only well, if the Chiefs were in it. What do you guys like to cook up, or like what would be your primo? We, we don't. We don't know Ian's projection. Oh yeah, Ian, what's your projection? 
He's on mute, I think. Ian, I bet you're on mute. Sorry, this keeps... <laughs> I, I don't know about the projections, but I'm going Chiefs because I also went to Texas Tech and I also love Patrick Mahomes. So. To throw out a number, what's the difference? Two? Seven? Uh, Chiefs by 50. The spread? Yeah. Yeah, what do you... How much do you think the Chiefs are going to 23, Ian? That's bold. I didn't say three. I said 23. <laughs> Did I? No. I don't know, dude. You- this mic is acting up. <laughs> uh, okay. Kansas City Chiefs, 66. We're going to go exact. Tampa Bay Buccaneers, 40. Whoa. It's going to be like a big 12. It's going to be a big 12 game. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Man, I like that prediction, Ian. That's fun. Uh, what was the other question? Oh, yeah, what we're cooking. Uh, what are you cooking up, Cliff? I'm not cooking this yeah. this year. Um, but if you were going to cook and you were like – Super cereal bowl at your house party. Dang, man. I know. If you're having a super cereal bowl party at your house. That's why you got to say the big game. The super cereal bowl, I guess um, it's just too close. What would you cook for your guests? I would say probably if I was actually going to cook something, I would like to say that I'd do a brisket or some ribs mm-hmm. on the Traeger. Possibly some wings. Ooh, yeah. Wings on the Traeger I did, great. I did ribs and Wibs. <laughs> I did ribs and wings last year. That yep. was pretty good. We did boudin balls too. I think I was at That's your right. place last yeah, they're year. Good. Boudin would be some. Yeah, I would flesh. do ribs. Ribs is my my best they're thing. Relatively easy, mm-hmm. you know. I've, and I don't like. I cooked them enough times. I've made. I did like three rounds with like minor mistakes. Got my kinks worked out. Yeah. Got my ribs dialed in. Nice. So and ribs are good. Yeah. They're not, and they don't take that long to cook either. Mm-hmm. It's not at all. I haven't done a affair. Like, I, I wouldn't say that I've perfected my ribs or anything. Um, but I did do have like my brisket how I want it. Your brisket can't good. do. I, I don't think Which I could do any better. Way more technical and advanced than little baby ribs I'm doing. Yeah, but ribs can dry out, and I mean brisket can dry out too. But still, Ian, anything for you? No, man, I I don't know. Maybe order some wings from Pluckers. <laughs> yeah, classic. <laughs> if you can get them yeah. on Super Serial so, Sunday. Dude, they're so expensive at Pluckers, too. Like, I'm pretty sure I paid, like, $18 for, like, 10 wings. And I was like, mm, I'm going to do a hot high. take. I think that Pluckers wings... Are the worst wings available? Yeah, I agree. I, I wouldn't say the worst <laughs> wings, but exactly. I'd be honest. I wouldn't rank them any higher than Wingstop wings. I like Wingstop wings. I do too. But I don't put. I put Pluckers way below Wingstop. Zach, really? Do you remember in college when we used to do fifty cent wing night with Mike? Yeah, Anderson? dude, it was great. <laughs> dude, yeah, that was like twelve years ago. I, I will that. say the best wings in yeah. San Antonio, in my opinion, though, are wings. wings. Oh, for wings. sure, it's wings. <laughs> best <laughs> wings. In the United oh, States yeah. are Wayne's Wings. I yeah. I've not had wings from a lot of I places. Would I would put money yeah. with more confidence on Wayne's Wings than I would on the Chiefs and the Super Cereal Bowl. Yeah, Ian, you need to come down and have some Wayne's Wings yeah. because they're the bomb. Dude, Austin has terrible wings, and it's because all we have is weird California food now. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Like, they're vegan but, wings. 
Yeah, that no, just exactly. Just a stick. No, it is a lot of like on it. Dip it in buffalo <laughs> sauce and suck it off. It's just a celery stick in buffalo sauce. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Hey, you know what? Hey, that's yeah, that's half a win. Okay. Um, let me get to our questions. What was a cat? I know. I'm like, what the heck? I saw it come by over here, and at first I thought it was a possum. I was like, oh, it's gonna, it's gonna right. one night. Hunt or fishing products in 2021 that you want to try? Ooh, it's tough. I'm thinking about getting a three weight. Oh, you don't have a three weight? I don't. I had one that I would have sold you. I think uh, Landon has it now. I have one I'll sell yeah. you. Is it the one I gave you mm-hmm. to sell? Mm-hmm. For the so, drone. Well, you haven't sold. Oh, uh, got it, got it. Yeah. Oh, gee. Okay. Yeah, I forgot we agreed upon that. <clears throat> gotcha. So I have one. We can talk about that later. Yeah, if you want a reasonable price for it. Um, I'm dying. It's a it's a sage. It's not. It's a good little well, raw. Well, we'll we'll talk about it later. Uh, but pro- products you want to try? Zach's three weight. Yeah. Why a three weight? They're fun. I don't know. Like, I love all my rods, but to be honest, like my five glass rod is just like prob- probably my favorite rod. It's just the most fun every time I take it out. Mm. Like every. So you wanting a glass three weight? Not a glass three weight, but just like a like a light lighter rod that could still like nymph fish pretty well. Whereas if I get a three glass, I feel like it would struggle with that a little bit. Mm. Um, no, I think that'd be fun. It would definitely be fun, but like the five does a really good job at the um, at like nymphing rigs. But I don't have the extra reach, and I know that if I got a three glass, it'd be the same issue. And so a three graphite. But still give me that play that I'm looking for that's just like fun every time. But I'd be able to handle nymph rigs a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least I'd envision. I would be able to. You envision. Yeah. Still kind of hard to cast with a lot of weight. Yeah, for, sure, for sure. But what do you think, Cliff? Um, I wouldn't say that I'm necessarily excited to try anything off the top of my head. Especially like new products because I don't know what's supposed to all come out this year. Or maybe just new to you. Something you don't have or haven't used something before. I'm, uh, something I'm really looking forward to and I am p- placing a bit of a priority on it is I want to build a Predator gun. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm looking forward to doing that and tinkering with it. Yeah. That's cool. Ian, you have anything? Um, I'm working on, uh, mine's similar to Cliff, but now I need to get some new, uh, I bought an old, old 270, uh, like old, like 1930s old. Um, and that's a story for another time, but I need to do some work on it and get like a a nice scope for it. No, I don't think that's a story for another time, Ian. I think we had a good conversation when we chatted on the phone about you buying that gun. You have a particular interest in buying old guns, and I think our listeners might be interested in knowing why you like buying old guns um, versus uh, buying a new gun. In particular, like like older, older guns. Yeah, like my hunting shotgun is older than most of our listeners. It's actually it's the same age as me, which is. 31 if anyone wants to know um on the podcast um i like them for two reasons one i think if you shop correctly you get a lot of bang for your buck no pun intended with old guns Mm -hmm. because 
I think what happens is a lot of the times you have one or two family members who buy really nice quality firearms and they get handed down or they go into an estate sale or someone passes away. And this is my personal philosophy. People, people would say like, how can nice firearms still be cheap because everyone has the internet to look up the price. I think a lot of where I've bought most of my guns, they've been priced pretty cheap. And I asked them like, this is under market. And they said, well, we got it, you know, trade in for 200 bucks. So we don't really care because they're not that far into it. Mm-hmm. So, um, so sorry, that was kind of a long winded answer. I think you can get a lot of bang for your buck with older guns. And I also just like thinking about, or, you know, maybe imagining other people that have hunted with them, whether that's true or not. I, I just kind of like older, uh, this is a kind of a shout out American made. And in, in my case, I'm not against European guns or imported guns, but I only own American guns. And it, it, I just happen to, that's happenstance. That's not like to say I wouldn't own anything else, but I like older stuff. It keeps going, man. Like it's well-made. It was handcrafted and it keeps going. So I bought a Winchester 54, which is the predecessor to the model 70, uh, which is the one everyone knows. So they stopped building them in 19, 19- late 1930s so it's pre-world war ii mm-hmm. um and i just like i just like owning something that holds its value and it wasn't that expensive it was a few hundred bucks it wasn't like you know i'm not trying to flex and say oh i you know purchased a pretty best or something that i could never own <laughs> but uh you know it, it was less than 500 bucks and i just like old stuff that You there, Ian? I think we did. We lose him. Was that too much? No, no, that's great. That's great. I, I appreciate like old you sharing stuff that because it, it's still going. Yeah, yeah. I think for me, um, to answer the question, what I want to try in twenty twenty one, I just bought a drone, so I want to use that a lot more. And I, I've already used it a little bit, but I want to use that to make a lot more videos and content and stuff like that get cool shots. Um, and then I just, uh, bought some arrows and got my bow restrung. And so I'm getting excited about, you know, getting the bow sided in doing the total archery challenge in a couple months and, and doing that. And other than that, I can't really think of anything. Um, uh, the drone was a pretty big purchase, so I'm probably gonna take 2021 off from buying new, new equipment or trying new stuff. But, um, that's what I'm looking forward to. The other question um, is best drama Lupe story or any drama trip? Oh, no. Uh, <clears throat> I feel like all my drama trips are, are like are more like anecdotes. Like I've heard it somewhere, but I like my trips are usually pretty low key. Ian, wasn't there a one on you on the Guadalupe? Uh, yeah. Uh, which with, I probably do, I don't want to necessarily talk about. No, but yes, not not that one. I was thinking, wasn't there one by like the cross or something uh, where someone was yelling at you? Wasn't another fisherman? I didn't oh think. yeah, no, that one's a good story. Yeah, um, <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that one. Okay, so I'm fishing the Guad probably three or four, probably four years ago. Mm-hmm. So probably 2017 in about March or April. 
And I was actually, believe it or not, targeting red horse suckers. I was not targeting trout. Um, I was in some of the other species. I was trying to catch stripe or something, too. I don't know. It was a summer species. But this is in the middle of tubing season. So if you've ever been down to New Braunfels <laughs> during tubing season, it's a lot of heavily intoxicated people between 20 and 40. Uh, having the time of their lives. So I'm fishing and I hear this yelling and I'm getting screamed at by this older lady on the shore. And she is just yelling and yelling and yelling. And it's nonsensical too. Like, I don't know what she's saying and it's difficult to understand, but she's just screaming and I'm like, what is going on? So do you guys know that place near John DeLoach's with the big crosses and stuff? Mm -hmm. And there's like those huge rocks. That's like where I was at. So I go behind one of the rocks because I'm like, this lady's just like, oh, I'm going to kind of walk away. And I run into this couple who is, uh, uh, let's say, smoking something that's not tobacco. And uh, <laughs> and uh, it was a guy and a girl and this guy's friend and they were enjoying uh, something and they were like, Hey man, is that lady yelling at you? And I was like, I don't know, but she's pointing at me and waving her arms around. Like it's a fly rod and just screaming. And he was like, do you want some of this? And I was like, no, <laughs> no, I'm good, buddy. Thank you. <laughs> I, pre I appreciate that. And he was like, cool and then his friend goes i'm tired of this and walks around and starts screaming profanities at her <laughs> and yelling like shut up you stupid blank and blank river rat blank and blank go the blank and blank away from here this guy is doing nothing blank and blank to you shut the blank and blank up <laughs> and, so he, and then he comes back over and asks me if i would like more of what they were utilizing and i said no i'm really good and then she said i am going to call the police on you and he said you do that you blank and blank blank and i was like okay and then he said i swear to god daytime tv has really declined because what is he doing outside? <laughs> and then his intoxicated girlfriend hugged me and said, I'm so sorry that happened to you. And both guys like patted me on the shoulder. They were like, they were like my older brothers. Age, like brothers do. And they said, hang in there, buddy. Don't let her stop you fishing. <laughs> and, then, and then they got on their tubes and left and like floated down the river. And I was like, what? And I'm sitting there like, what just happened? But yeah, so cranky old lady cuss or I was cussing me out. Uh, a gentleman with, you know, who was uh, indulging, you know, and, and something uh, was yelling back at her and defending me, and then they just went all their way. <laughs> it was very cool. That's yeah. awesome. That's great. That's like one of the best stories. Yeah. So sorry. That's my story. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have, like, I've had st stuff happen on the quad, but nothing like crazy. It's more just like rudeness and nothing that has developed into uh, a crazy story. Me and Ian fishing have had some, like, cool interactions with people on the quad, but not drama. Not drama related. Yeah. Like that time we fished with we we met those two old guys at the River Ian that escaped the nursing home. Oh yeah, 
Um, well, they they claimed they escaped the nursing home, and we couldn't tell if they were serious or not. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, no, I think th- I think those are good. Um, we got a wood tip call this week. Let me get it pulled up. Also, uh, just so you guys know, uh, wood tip has an Instagram. Page. Morning, oh. boys. This here wood tip pickle chip giving you another call. Boys, is it all pump jacks? You know, got a little update. Okay, got a little update uh, from the ranch down here. Okay, and uh, we're down here in the south. Okay, deer season's over. All right, you know what I'm saying. So we got them pigs. All right, this is how we do it. We get after them pigs. Y'all know how it is. Okay, I've been talk. I talk about pigs. You know, we're putting groceries on the table. Okay, that's how we do it in South Texas. But are you guys there? Yeah, we're here, Ian. The the oh, recording's playing. Okay, I'm pretty excited. Oh, it went. Pretty excited. Oh. All right, all right. No fooling. You know, there's you boys know what I like. Okay, I like. Hey, right there. See, I don't know if you can hear that, but that's what all day right now. All day we got things going on. Okay, <laughs> all right. I, mean, no I like pig hunting. Okay, we're killing pigs. All right, we got we got them groceries. All right, but uh, you know my favorite thing is some pump jacks, and boys, we're uh, we're putting us a new one in. All right, we got the we got drilling going on over here. We got these trucks running up and down this little road over here. All right, I got a little I got a little fence to fix. All right, I got to get this thing patched up. You know what I'm saying? Got to do a little patching. Okay, got to do patching. But yeah, we're gonna have us a new pump jack. So you know I'm gonna have to come up. My, I mean, you know I don't. My old pump jacks are pretty, you know, I like them. They're pretty, you know. I like sitting with them, enjoying my time with them. I talk to them, you know what I'm saying? I talk I talk nice to them, you know. I feel like they're going to pull more of that oil out of the ground, you know, the nicer you talk to them or whatever. Not there's those thread right there. Hey, Fred. Yeah, he, nah, he needs to get his cattle off my property right now. Right now. That's why we're fixing fence. We've got cows going on over here, and it's you know, a big pain in the butt. But uh, anyhow, yeah, we're putting a new, uh, putting new oil. Old deal here and there. Got a little pump jack going on. So I'm going to have to come up with a name from a pump jack, okay? I got to come up with another name, all right? You know, I'm going to have to spend some time with it, okay? I'm going to have to spend some time, you know? I don't want to neglect my other pump jacks, okay? I got to spend time with them all, you know? That's how, that's how we roll, okay? All right? No falling. <laughs> so uh, anyhow, but, you know, it's a Tuesday morning. It's my day off, okay? Which basically just means, you know, the lady friend and I are going to go to town. Okay, we've got some things we got to do. We're going to do a little day trip. All right, I got to get this. I got to get this fence going. I really need to get off this thing, you know, here. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, that's pretty much it, boys. That's pretty much it. So just wanted to call and let you know. You know, I got a little ding on the thing this morning. It dinged at me, let you know. So I was like, well, you know, I better call the boys. Get up there. I'm pretty excited. I don't know if y'all can tell. I got a, little, got a little hop in my step this morning, you know what I'm saying? It may be a little extra on the bourbon, too. You know, I might have pour a little extra in the coffee. But um, anyhow, well, that's pretty much it. Uh boys keep it up i i like the show it's real nice you know what i'm saying real nice so all right well this here's the wood tip pickle chip and y'all have a good week uh thanks wood tip i wonder how much pork he eats <laughs> how much pork makes it seem like yeah. that's all he eats. yeah, yeah. like that's Just wild hog every day <laughs> in, <laughs> nothing in deer season maybe like a little bit of venison but yeah mainly just uh Pick bacon in the morning. <laughs> I mean, ribs to be from Texas, I'm surprised he doesn't talk about beef at all. Yeah, but I guess you know you can't I just mean, you can't kill a wild cow. Not with that attitude. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Very nice, though. Um, yeah. oh, we got to do our bourbon review at some point. Oh, yeah, yeah. Let's take a, a moment just to address the fact that we are starting a new series on Instagram coming Ooh. out every Friday. Is uh, Feeder Prick Fridays. Feeder Picks Fridays. Where we're going to be posting uh, user-submitted or our own trail cam photos around. So if you have uh, some trail cam photos that you want to share and be featured on our Instagram, uh, send those in and I'll be going through them. The best ones will be get put up every Friday. That I'm sounds good. Trying to make send it them, happen. Send, send, them, them, send them to the Honey Hole Angling Instagram or post them on your page and tag us and we can repost it. Yeah. Um, and we'll tag you guys and we appreciate the help. But I think it'll be cool to see to see what's out there. And Yeah, and it doesn't have to be deer. It doesn't have to be your prize deer or anything like that. Just anything you see coming could up. could be a butterfly. Theater. Yeah. Hey, and you know what? If you're I need back, to get my dad to send backyard, the butterfly pick in. Yeah, yeah, he could. Yeah, oh, you know what? Well, he you know listens. what? He'll do it. If your backyard is your feeder, they just eat grass. Hey, send those pictures. In yeah, too. it doesn't yeah. have to feature the feeder in no. it. It just has to come from a trail cam. Just show us some pictures with things outside. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, uh, Wood Tip, appreciate the call. Uh, the only thing I'll say, Wood Tip, is we really liked last week when you asked us a question. I think it was a really good question. So if you want to submit a question to us, just when you call us in, ask us a question, and we'll answer it on the show. And if any of our other listeners want to send us an audio recording and have us play it on, you can send it to our email. For their question. At honeyholeangling at gmail.com. I like it. We will pre-screen it. It needs to be podcast appropriate. Uh, obviously can't think, say things like super serialable. Yeah, don't say that. Um, apparently, that's a no-no word that I have to edit out. <laughs> no-no word. You definitely have to edit it out. <laughs> um, but uh, as long as this podcast is appropriate, we will uh, play it on air, and uh, we would appreciate it. And we'll move straight into our uh, whiskey review for the week. Yeah. Uh, we are drinking Treaty Oak Texas Bourbon. This one is called the Day Drinker Texas Bourbon. Bourbon whiskey aged at least 12 months, 40% Okay, this is supposed to be a, lo- a lower proof, right? Proof. Yeah. It's 80 proof. Because this is supposed to be like, you know, as day drinker as a bourbon can get. Yeah. You know, um, because like, I don't know about you, this is super sweet. I like it. I like it a lot. It's easy to drink though because I, it's only 80 proof. I also want to give a shout out because this bottle was given to me by uh, a gentleman named Lee who works. I met why I was out fishing. Um, for your birthday for my birthday and uh, <clears throat> uh, Lee ran into this guy named Lee and uh, turns out he works for Treaty Oak and he hooked us up with a couple bottles no way yeah and so uh, Lee I appreciate your generosity to uh, share your bourbon with a kid fishing on his birthday yeah and hey Lee this is great yeah luckily he had already turned 21 yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> Um, and, uh, we're looking forward to seeing you guys at the Texas fly fishing and brew festival. Cause I know you guys are going to be the distiller there. So I know Lee is going to be there. So we'll hook up with him and get him on the podcast. Talk about treaty Oak bourbon bourbon. I really like this bourbon though. Me too. I mean, like you said, uh, it's, I don't think it's super expensive if I remember no, seeing it at the store, uh, at the store. And then it's just, you know, I wouldn't want to drink it all the time, but it is very, very good. Like, I would always have... It's weird. 
I would probably always have this at my house because I don't see many people who, if they like any kind of bourbon, wouldn't like this unless they just absolutely hate anything that's super sweet. Mm. I like it. Mm-hmm. I'd have to agree with with uh, what you said there, Zach. I I am really enjoying this. I we actually normally don't don't pour until uh, we actually do the review. In this case, we did our interview beforehand, so we we've been sipping on it for a bit. we've been sipping on it for a bit, and uh, I I haven't been able to stop. Sipping yeah, and on even it. you, you're drinking it without your ice now. It melted. Yeah, but how's it without the ice? It's great. Yeah, see, yeah, it's great. I prefer it chilled, but. I just like drinking cold drinks, but yeah. it's really good yeah. nonetheless. Um, yeah. Cliff, what are you drinking tonight? Water. Water? Water. How does it taste? A lot of minerals? Ozark. Ozark? Ozarka water. Mm-hmm. Okay. From the five-gallon Dude, drink. Ozarka is like the Walmart of grocery stores. <laughs> uh, hey, Ian, give us your abbreviated version of your... Uh, carbonated water review because we're, okay. we're running short on time yeah we're running real short so i got sparkling water that at the gas station closest <laughs> to my house um it's called w plus cbd watermelon <laughs> wait it's got cbd in it that is guys and are you there that's uh, supposed to make you feel relaxed and chilled out. Hey, um, so tell us if you feel relaxed yeah. and chilled out after, yeah. afterwards. Um, I think you have to be an adult to buy it, and this thing was like five bucks. Oh, wow. <laughs> which, was, which was ridiculous. Uh, I'll open it real quick, and we'll give it a taste. Okay, that was a not a satisfying. I was saying our end, too, was moment. not as Is it uh, full-spectrum CBD? So it has like no, I don't think so. percent THC? That's illegal. It says it's 0.3%. If you guys don't know what CBD is, CBD is um, from the uh, cannabis plant, but it's the non-psychoactive version, so it's legal in Texas. Yes. Um, I do think you have to be an adult to buy it. Uh, Basically, it's supposed to reduce inflammation. I'm not a doctor, but from what I've read, (laughs) it's supposed to make you feel calm because it reduces inflammation. Um, Okay, this is zero calories. It tastes good. It tastes better than the watermelon LaCroix. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Wasn't For $5 good. a can, I would hope so. <laughs> oh, <okay>. <laughs> <laughs> well, the watermelon so LaCroix doesn't come with CBD in it. It's that fancy water. Uh, honestly, it just tastes really good. It's from Boulder, Colorado. It tastes like watermelon. It's got a bunch of things I can't pronounce in it, like collagen extract whatever that is honestly this is delicious is it five dollars delicious i don't know and it'll probably make me fall asleep because it has cbd in it and it just makes you feel calm and relaxed um but i don't know we'll see i would recommend it if you know like two fit this, if this was like two fifty, I would buy it. This is the most passionate you've been about one so far, so it must be nice. Yeah. I don't think that it would be like an everyday drinker. I think every so often a five dollar CBD sparkling water, water <laughs> you know, what? might not be too bad. I might try it now. To each their own. Hey, some people will spend five dollars. Oh no, I meant like yeah, no, for sure. You're probably not supposed to drink this every day either. Um, I just don't know if I would spend $5 on a sparkling water again. I just did because I was running out of time before the podcast. You know what? Hey, man, I like the fact that you're trying. You're reaching out. You're branching out. Trying new One stuff. One week, liquid death. The next week, CBD sparkling water. What's next What's week? Next Who knows? Ian? I don't know. 
Oh, which I find weird is like a few years ago, you never heard like people, not never, but sparkling water wasn't like that big of a thing. Yeah. And then it like just blew up. Blew it up. Propel. Propel. Oh, dude. That's Propel? what you used to have to drink. Propel wasn't sparkling. Oh, well, it's not sparkling. It's flavored Flavors. water, I guess. It's not even flavor, though. It's like sugar water. Yeah. Well, tasted like a. That's what I drank growing up. Tasted like a less salty version of Gatorade. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty bad. <laughs> it was really bad. Wasn't hey, it? I went Gatorade. Yeah, I like Gatorade. Nine Gatorade. out of ten times, if I'm going with a Propel, I'm going <laughs> Gatorade. Gatorade. Um, thanks for the review, Ian. Um, we guys ready to get into our articles? Yeah, dude. Uh, I go. Nope. I'll go first since mine's pretty short. Let's do it. And three, two, one. <laughs> On Patrol, and uh, this week I'm bringing... Oh, Zach sent me a mock-up of the On Patrol sticker, and it is really awesome. Yeah. The donut fly in the mouth is a (laughs) subtle but awesome touch. (laughs) Thank you. So uh, I'm going to be excited when that sticker gets printed. Yeah, you just got to digitize it. Um, Okay. So this was something that we... I don't think we talked about on the podcast last week, but we were talking about it off-air. Two duck hunters were... um, killed um while they were out hunting and a lot more information has come out in a week that's why i wanted to wait um until we had some more information on it Uh, my articles come from the usa today and meat eater uh combination because there was different information from each source um uh basically what happened is uh there was a group of three guys and they were duck hunting uh, and they're duck blind. Um, another gentleman came up to their blind in his boat and asked if he could hunt with them. And uh, being gracious hunters, they agreed. Yeah, we'd love to have you hunt. I invited him in. And he's like, well, I'm going to go grab my stuff out of my boat. Goes back to his boat, uh, grabs a gun, loads it, and then walks up to the duck blind and shoots one of the three hunters um at first not everyone knew what knew what happened i thought it was a squabble over a winged bird no there was no squabble over any bird that story was not was not true um the 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 guy that survived um that ended up surviving was on a podcast, and this podcast is quoted of him telling this story of how it happened. So when the gun went off, they thought it was an accidental discharge. Initially, the you know, just kind of like the, a gun went off. What happened? They didn't really know what was going on. They were trying to figure out what happened, and then he shot again and realized the 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 one guy who survived realized that the other two guys had been shot, and he wrestles the gun away from the guy and hits him in the head with the butt of the gun and basically pushes him into the lake. And I think it's more of like a swampy area than it is specifically a lake. Well, I don't know the specific area they were hunting, but I know the area. It's uh, Real Foot, Tennessee, or Lake Real Foot in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Um, you do have to have an additional permit to hunt there as well mm. so you got to buy your tennessee license you got to buy the waterfowl endorsement from tennessee and your waterfowl national stamp and is it uh cliff is it like if you fish the uh texoma you got to buy oklahoma and texas 
Yeah, it's kind of like that again. Yeah, I, I guess so. I just know, like, in order to hunt or fish on Lake Realfoot, you have to have a Realfoot-specific endorsement on your license as well. So Okay, like that river specifically has its yeah. own endorsement. Gatlinburg it's, kind of from the articles too. I read, I understand it being more like of a swampy area than like a deep lake. Well, uh, it could have been like some of the the lower wetland yeah. areas of the lake. But I know like that area is um, what I was talking. So wrestled the gun away from the guy, um, popped him on the head. Um, he kind of passed out. I guess popped him on the head, pushed him into the lake. And he was kind of passed out for a second. The guy was uh, loaded, the guy that survived, loaded the other two guys up into his boat and started taking off to try to get help for him. And he looked back and the other guy had regained consciousness and was like chest deep wading towards shore, basically. And then that's the last of that's the last they saw. They were looking for um, the story initially came out. Um, about two, three weeks ago. One second. Original story is January twenty sixth. Um, and then they found him. Let me go to this other article on January thirty first. So a couple days later. Um, updated February first. So it just a couple days later. Um, investigators find body of seventy year old uh seventy year old Tennessee man charged with killing two duck hunters. So they had found him uh dead. They had been doing a search for a couple of days, pretty intensive search, given the situation for a couple of days. Um they found him in the, the hunting lands of Realfoot, right? Like uh, in the, the bottom of the lake or whatever. Uh the body of David Vowell has been recovered in the waters of Realfoot Lake. He was located around 3 p.m. today near the area of the incident. Um, his identity had been confirmed. It doesn't, it, they just said they found him in the lake. Um, yeah. But a super sad story. I, I think um, it, it, from a lot of the articles I read, um, they're really confused about motive. There wasn't an argument. I mean, and the guy who lived wouldn't lie about that. I mean, if there was an argument over a winged bird right. or something, he would have told the truth about it. So there's no reason to think otherwise, but they're just, like, confused about why would, you know, those guys let him hunt with them. They were doing a super generous thing. Yeah. And um, so no one really knows. The guy doesn't have a criminal history, has never done anything like <clears throat> this, or has done anything in the past that would make you think that he's going to do something like this. So um, it's just like a really sad, sad story. Yeah, it, it, the I heard when it first came out, the first time that I heard it, I did some, it was in like the comment sections of another hunter in that area say that he heard, so it was a bunch of like one-off, like here he says, she says type mm-hmm. scenarios, that it was over a winged bird argument but it sounds like this that was false yeah at this point now that was that was that came back as not true okay but uh yeah it's just it's just sad it, you you think that you would want to be the hunter angler that if someone came up to you and politely asked that can i can i hunt with you that 
you know, you want to be the guy that's welcoming to others and invites people to hunt. And uh, it's just sad that it turned out that way. A story that began so good with them sharing their duck blind ended ended so tragically. Right. Yeah. But, all right, guys, that's my story. Who's up next? I'll go because mine's kind of a follow-up as well and is fairly short. So... This one, this article, uh, was probably the best one that I could find with the uh, full overview of what's going on. But it's, again, over bears. So three (laughs) weeks in a row. But this one goes into last week's California Beats Battlestar Collective. This one goes into, it's the second half to the California Bear uh, Hunt Ban Bill. Um this article was written by Sam Lundgren of the Meat Eater crew. Um, we don't always pull from there, but... Just I happened. Guess, yeah, this no. week it's two... Got to cite our sources. Yeah. Because um, last week's was straight from the uh, Sacramento Bee. Mm-hmm. Um, but this week, uh, with a full synopsis of... The bear ban has been withdrawn amidst uh, online outcry. Really? Yes. Dang. So, California State Senator Scott Weiner of San Francisco has dropped his bill to end bear hunting in the state after mass protest online and organized opposition from numerous industries. Uh, Weiner believed this isn't the time to focus on the... This isn't the time to focus on this right now, uh, said Weiner. This news comes one week after the bill was introduced. Roy Griffith, a retired assistant chief game warden for the California Department of Fish and Wildlife, said that the negative attention brought to the issue by their crediting themselves meat eater and other publications in concert with the change.org petition that gathered 22,000 signatures led the senator to back off his plans. Griffith said thousands of hunters uh, pointed out the fallacy in uh, Senator Weiner's assertions that hunters don't eat bear meat. In fact, it's illegal to waste it. And its managed harvest clearly hasn't made a dent in bear, bear population statewide. I mean, the, date, the data that bear numbers have doubled in the last 10 years, Griffith said. Uh, let's be clear, this, is, this was a rogue senator who had no business being involved in wildlife management. Griffith told Meat Eater uh, SB 252, which was the Senate bill name, was a direct assault on all of us who cherish our hunting heritage and the hundreds of professional biologists and enforcement personnel who risk their lives to protect California's diverse wildlife resources. We have won the battle, but not but the war is not over. We must remain diligent for assaults on the North American model of wildlife conservation, both here in California and throughout the nation. Brian Lynn, VP of Communications and Marketing for the Sportsman's Alliance, said that the hunting and conservation community undoubtedly had an impact on the early death of this legislation. If there wasn't any pushback on SB 252, uh, 
would likely still be going forward. So the Senate bill to ban California bear hunting, as we outlined last week's uh, podcast, is now off the floor. Him saying that it's not the right time makes me think it might pop up again. Yeah. But uh, for right now, we can say... uh, It's off. It's off. Well, that's good. It's yeah, kind of neat. we don't see that um, that kind of stuff happen that fast. So yeah, yeah. Um, I'm just curious, thinking like through, I guess his thought press process. Why kill it? Um, I mean, if his base is really pushing for it, I mean, people. I don't think hunters are after him putting that bill out there. I don't think hunters are going to be in a position where they're going to want to vote for him. But why kill it and potentially upset? His base. His base. Yeah. I think he cited in order not to upset his base, I think he cited due to COVID reasons. Mm. Uh, he was going to, it's not the time to focus on it right now. Mm. So he kind of had his cake and ate it too. Yeah. Interesting. I read uh, um, Washington is having bear hunting uh, like uh, legislation issues right now too. And I was reading an article about it. And one thing that uh, the article cited was that I thought was interesting and I want your guys' thoughts on is that um, they're having like uh, town hall meetings regarding the issue. And uh, since it's COVID, all the town hall meetings are online via Zoom and, you know, Skype and other platforms. And um, uh, wildlife advocacy groups are from other states are joining Washington town hall meetings um, and giving their input, and uh, seems like it's it's a situation that hasn't come up before. Because if you think about maybe a group from California or something isn't going to drive up to Washington to be at a town hall meeting during normal times, but because of COVID and online access, that that gives them uh, more access to be involved, I guess, in other states' legislation and meetings. Do you guys what what are your guys' like initial thoughts on that? So there's a there's a few different facets to to that in my opinion. Um A it revolves around wildlife, which is a national resource but managed by the state. So I would say that they do have somewhat of a say in it, but it is up to the state to manage it properly, so I would say that they don't have a say in it. Type scenario. So there's, there's I would, I would federal say, funding. Um, there's federal funding going to the states, right? But the states are managing it. So you're saying since it's state managed, it should be up to the voters of that state. I, I do think it should be up to the voters of that state. I think it should be a. Uh, all of it pretty much is state regulations. There's a few exceptions with federal regulations, uh, such with waterfowl, and that's even international a bit too. Um, but I do think that since it is a state-managed program, it should be up to the states, and outside influences should not be involved in it because, A, that's watering down what the true constituency wants. Mm-hmm. So that's like 
us going to Louisiana, which none of us would do this, but going to Louisiana and saying that they couldn't fish for reds anymore. Well, A, we would be all for fishing for reds in Louisiana, but just like using... uh, It shouldn't be up to people in another state to say this state cannot do this because I do not like it. Makes sense. Is what I'm trying to get to. Yeah. In a very roundabout and butchered way. Cool. Ian, you ready for your article? Dude, I am. Um, One second. This is from Huffington Post. It wouldn't be an Ian article without Ian interrupting his own soundbite. That is true. Dude, I can't hear him. <laughs> Dang it, this always happens. Okay, go ahead. Okay, here. here go Ian, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to say, and uh, I'm going to give you a little intro. I want you to pause after I stop talking. I want you to pause for about five seconds and then start talking. So we'll give it a practice run. <laughs> And now we're going to Ian with his segment called Neat Things in Nature. All right. Thanks, guys. Was that good? Yeah, it was perfect. It was was perfect. Dude, I can't hear a thing. Go ahead, Ian. You're good. Okay. This is called, this is from the Huffington Post, which is not something I usually subscribe to, but I did in this case. This was posted on 12-31-2020. Angry squirrel aggressively attacking residents of Queens neighborhood. Nice. Okay, so this is from the Associated Press of New York. Residents of a Queens neighborhood are dealing with a squirrely threat. Denzians, I don't even know what that means, of the New York City borough Rigo Park neighborhood say an aggressive squirrel has jumped on them and bitten them in the past several weeks. Uh, Michelle Frederick pointed to a bruise on her wrist where she said the squirrel landed on her and then sank its teeth into her fingers and hand. We're wrestling in... This is a direct quote. We're wrestling in the snow and there's blood everywhere and my finger's getting chewed and it won't let go, Frederick said. It just stopped and there I was, a big mess. She was also quoted as saying, this was an MMA cage match and I lost. (laughs) Two other neighbors told WCBS the squirrel had jumped on them seemingly unprovoked. Um, Someone named Vinati Singh said, these squirrels are aggressively going after people. The city's Department of Health advised the neighbors to hire a licensed trapper, but the large metal traps have not yet captured any squirrels, the broadcaster reported. So these are all direct quotes. I did not write this. Uh, The reason for the squirrel or squirrel's aggressive behavior is not clear. Small rodents like squirrels rarely test positive for rabies and are not known to transmit it to humans. Um, that was the end of the article. So, uh, squirrels were just jumping and biting people in Queens, uh, like barely over a month ago. Mm. And I thought that was weird. So I don't know. What do you, what do you guys think would be like the reason that would happen? Uh, maybe who knows? Maybe with uh, COVID and more and more people being inside, squirrels are getting wilder and learning to take over. Planet of the Squirrels. You think people were provoking them, Zach? No, I don't think people were provoking. I just just do think that as COVID is going longer and longer and as people, for the most part, are inside at a much higher level, I think animals in general are probably out 
doing different things. Like there's already, uh, you know, documentation of bears coming in to, uh, to towns and stuff and like moose and stuff, especially early in the, in the pandemic. I, you know, do I think that's what's happening with the scrolls? Probably not. But, uh, you know, that has been happening over the last few months. So who knows? Maybe they just totally. also, maybe they just also ate some like radioactive grubs or something. Hmm. And I'm pretty sure this is the same scroll. I wanted to read an article that was from The Guardian. Um, so it's on theguardian.com. It's also in Rigo Park, so let's assume this is the same squirrel. A few people are quite scared, Michelle Fredericks said. Suddenly the squirrel ran up my leg, and I thought, it's a small rodent. How bad could this be? So I, com- st- I stood completely still, and the next thing I knew... Blood started to fly. Wow. Oh, this must have been the same lady that they interviewed. Wow. Whoever did this interview got a lot better quotes. I had my hand around its body and I could not get this thing off. It was angry, vicious, and incredibly strong. <laughs> I feel so bad for this lady, like <laughs> laughing, but also like, what? Uh, yeah, I think this is, I'm not sure if this is the same individual, but if you live in the Rigo Park area of Queens, New York, please call us because I would want to know about these attacking squirrels because this is really fascinating. What is happening? Maybe you're right, Zach, though. Like, animals, you know, yeah, animals who may have... I don't know how you even like that. we're experiencing animals being like behaving differently than we've ever been able to experience them before. Because correct, they're less accustomed to humans, right? Because right. Even, yeah, New York was hands down locked down, or I mean, it was very locked down. Yeah, so a lot of these animals, like it was like almost like a culture shock of like what the heck happened to like everything that happened. Mm-hmm. So no, I don't great. know. I mean, that you know that'd be something to test in yeah. the theory. I'm all for treating animals with respect, but if a squirrel jumped on me and started biting me, I would kick the crap out of it. Oh yeah, it's because at that point, at that point, if it's trying to draw blood, like at that point, it's just self defense. Could be you know, rabbit or something too, which is another scary yeah. thing. All right. Yep. All right. Thanks, Ian. Zach. All right, guys. Zach segment. You guys ready? Now on to Zach segment. Creature watch. Creature watch. Yeah. Creature watch. All right, guys. So tonight. I bring you the story of the Altamaha. Spell that? Altamaha. A L T A M A H A dash H A. So, this here creature's from Cliff's neck of the woods. Yay. It's from, the, it's from a Georgian folklore. Uh, it's a legendary creature known to live in the Altamaha River in Georgia. Have you ever heard of it, Cliff? Mm hmm. Have you ever heard of the river? Can't say that I have. What wow. part? I don't know. There's Man, you are becoming Texan. You can't even remember your home state. Dang, right? Uh, spell it. A-L-T-A-M-A-H-A. That's the river. Uh, so, it is uh, partially found around Darien or Butler Island. Have you heard of those? I've heard of Butler Island. Okay, so it's found around there. It's over. That's over near Savannah. That's why I ain't never heard. I have of no it. clue where that is. Yeah, so like dirt, like around all the marshes and stuff. Uh, so, what do you guys guess the first sighting was? You said folklore. Uh, I'm gonna go like 1850. Okay, Cliff. I'm going to go. Is he looking it up? 
right, well, I was looking up. Ian, what do you think? When was the uh, Tamahaha found? Man, let's go with 1905. Okay. I like uh, your guys' guesses so far. I can't find any okay, date so on this. Let's uh, go for it. With your Georgian gut, what do you think? This episode is brought to you by Cox Contour TV. Sometimes it's hard to decide what to watch, but Cox Contour TV helps make that decision easier. Enjoy live TV, on-demand programs, DVR recordings, and music all in one place. And only with the sound of your voice with the Contour voice remote. Plus, catch the golf and basketball action you've been waiting for on the Contour Sports app. Learn more at coxcox.com slash contour. This episode is brought to you by Cox Contour TV. Sometimes it's hard to decide what to watch, but Cox Contour TV helps make that decision easier. Enjoy live TV, on-demand programs, DVR recordings, and music all in one place. And only with the sound of your voice with the Contour voice remote. Plus, catch the golf and basketball action you've been waiting for on the Contour Sports app. Learn more at coxcox.com slash contour. 1912. Okay, yep. So, Lana was the closest. It was 1826. They did find rem- decomposing remains were found. We got to talk. Group. What are you, what are you are, doing? Are this you, is your segment, this Cliff. This is your segment, Cliff. What are you doing over there? <laughs> I thought it was. I thought it was interesting. <laughs> no, yeah, we're going to get there. He's going to tell you about it. Dang. Okay, so in 1826, five fishermen were flung from their boat by what they say was a 70 foot creature. Right. Mm. So it wasn't a lot. Uh, so settlers that came from this area or that were in this area were originally from Inverness, Scotland, which was kind of near the Loch Ness, mm-hmm. right? So uh, they were some of the original ones there. Uh, they actually ended up in this Georgian area in the late 1700s. So that makes sense, like in 1826. Uh, this creature, for most sightings, not the original one, is about 30 feet in length. It's known to have a long neck, large flippers, and uh, it has the face of a giant leopard seal. So it's, you know, pretty, I mean, leopard seals are kind of creepy looking. They got mm-hmm. those big, long teeth and everything. Yep. Um, it could bite a surgeon fish in half. So people say they have seen it for years, but the first uh, big blow up was in 1981. So people kind of saw it after 1820s. Uh, but in 1981, Larry Gwynn reported seeing the monster while he was out fishing. Uh, Larry was a newspaper reporter, so he probably knew how to play the game a little bit. Um, but he did say the creature had two big humps along its back, and uh, it left the wake as it moved in the river like a speedboat. So it had this huge wake behind it everywhere everywhere it went. Um, so after this kind of made the rounds, more and more people all of a sudden had these stories to share about the, seeing this creature in the river. Um, some say it may be a large whale that kind of made its way up through the rivers and stuff into the system. Uh, in 1830, they actually believed that it was a mythical sea snake that was sent from like the gods. Um, many scholars believe that the settlers from Scotland, right, because they were from the area of Loch Ness, that they brought that similar story of Nessie to Georgia to kind of remind them of home, mm. you know. Uh, some say that it's actually a world record alligator gar just kind of swimming around there in that river. Hmm. Um, 
so it happens to live in like the rice paddies and the fields and stuff and the swamps and the marshes of that area of Georgia. Um, and they attributed that if it is the alligator gar, that it would be there for over 200 years at this point. Well, they can live a really long time. Right. That's why kind of why they're thinking that, that it's just something that's like the perfect environment to get that big. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are videos that seem to show something moving in the lake and flipping around and flashing. I watched it. It kind of just looks like a big fish flopping around, not like an alligator gar or mm-hmm. anything like that. Um, so the last sighting was in 2018, like Cliff was saying. Uh, it was a decomposing body of something found. Uh, people freaked out for days, right? But then they brought this guy in, and it uh, turns out it was a paper mache art exhibit that this guy had placed there uh, to look like the dying sea creature. Mm. So that is the story of the Tamahaha. Thanks, Zach. So very exciting. Well, uh, guys, we're going to get straight into our interview with Bo about the event. So stay tuned, and that's going to start right now. All right. Uh, Bo Beasley is the director of the Virginia Fly Fishing and Wine Festival, which has operated for 20 years. In 2015, Bo launched the Texas Fly Fishing and Brew Festival, which this year will be held in Mesquite, Texas, February 27th and 28th. He is the author of Fly Fishing Virginia and Fly Fishing the Mid-Atlantic. His articles have appeared in American Fly Angler, Fly Fisherman, Northwest Fly Fishing, Fly Tire, and Sporting Classics. Uh, Strung and several other national and regional magazines. He's best known for his impartial approach to investigative work on thorny issues like river bottom ownership. His investigative work on bonefish management in the Bahamas is one of the most commented on articles in the history of mid-current. Prior to his fly fishing career, Bo worked as a paramedic and retired as a career captain with Fairfax County Fire Department where he served for 30 years. His next book about veterans and how fly fishing helps them heal should be released later this year. He lives in Warrington, Virginia, with his wife and children. Bo, we're very excited to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much. I really appreciate uh, being invited on, Landon. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I guess the topic of the night, we'll just get right in, get down to business first, business up front, and we'll do the fun stuff at the end. We're going to mull it. We're going to mull it. Um is uh, that you put on an event, uh, the Fly Fishing uh, and Brew Festival. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, this year it's the uh, fourth annual Texas Fly Fishing and Brew Festival. It's being held at the Mesquite Convention and Visitors Bureau uh, in Mesquite, Texas, which is just outside of Dallas, February 27th and 28th. It'll be from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. both days. Uh, there will be about 60 to 65 vendors, uh, everything from fly shops to lodges to guides to outfitters, specialty clothing companies, you name it, um, and also uh, four breweries, Four mm. Corners, Sweetwater, nice. Hop and Sing, and Tups. And for the first time ever, we will have uh, a distillery. Treaty Oaks Distillery from Dripping Springs, Texas will be there. And uh, it's just, it's a very, um, I I call it an informal, structured get-together. It's very (laughs) informal. It's very, very informal. Everybody does everything at their own pace. 
but there are a wide variety of classes that people can take from very basic introduction uh, to how to cast a fly rod to paid casting classes to highly specialized classes in fly fishing. So we offer stuff for everybody from the rank beginner that has never picked up a fly rod ever in their life, know nothing about it, to guys that or gals that have been fly fishing for a decade and they're taking a specialized class from a specialized instructor that has come to the festival just to teach this class, or maybe they're going to book a trip to Belize or Alaska or maybe a Canada. So mm-hmm. there's a little bit of everything. And then next in there is uh, the opportunity to, uh, to drink some really cool handcrafted beer or drink a little bourbon. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's kind of hard to beat. Yeah, we, we do a bourbon uh, whiskey review on all of our podcasts. And just so happens tonight that we are trying a Treaty Oak bourbon. Outstanding. Yeah, yeah. Outstanding. Um, well, I think one of the most interesting uh, classes, uh, and I don't think we need to go through all of them, but isn't there a whiskey tasting and bass bug class? Actually, there is. Um, we offer a variety of classes, uh, both classes that are paid, that are specialized, paid classes and classes that are open to the general public that costs you nothing beyond your general admission. Mm-hmm. We offer, I believe... Um, unless I am mistaken, we offer about 18 different classes a day. Oh, wow. So uh, everything from, you know, you can imagine from nymphing in tailwaters to fishing for giant trout to, um, you know, becoming an independent woman angler that, that are, that's, that's going to be taught by Carrie Rowland this year out of Idaho. Uh, but this class, I came up with this class on my own. I joke that I, I don't have but like one good idea a day, and I burn like a month's worth on this. I came up with this idea called bourbon and bass bug. <laughs> and uh, I'm a big-time bass guy. I really like fishing poppers and deer hair poppers and streamers and all kinds of stuff because I, I cut my teeth on fishing in farm ponds. And I thought, wouldn't it be really cool to offer a class about bourbon taught by somebody that does the distilling that can tell you why bourbon tastes the way it does, why does it look the way it does, why is it called bourbon, and that's for 45 minutes. And then the second 45, and you get three tastings of three different Treaty Oak bourbons, and it's taught by Jamie Beale, who's their kind of their resident scientist uh, on sustainability, and she'll be there teaching about how bourbon is made. And then you taste the different bourbons, and they actually have treaty oak tasting glasses that you get. Then the second half of the class is taught by Christian Cole, who works at Tailwaters, and he'll be going over five different bass bugs, why they were created, why they look the way they did, how to fish them, where to fish them, and then at the end of the class, you take the bass bugs home with you. Mm. That sounds great. Yeah. I'd sign up for that <laughs> class in a heartbeat. Right. Bourbon and bass bugs, yeah. man. It's a great concept. Um, I think the... Well, ho- I, I, burn, I burn like a month's worth of good ideas <laughs> on, that, on that one idea. Hey, man, that sounds like it, wor- it was worth it, though. <laughs> uh, 
I think the uh, hottest topic on everyone's mind right now is obviously COVID. Yes. Um, And so would you talk about um, how COVID is going to be handled, I guess, throughout the event? Yeah. How can people know they're going to be safe when they're there? Yeah. I I think everybody, you know, wants to be safe in everything that they do. Uh, I'm a retired paramedic. And I spent 30 years uh, in the emergency medicine field, so I know a little bit about emergency medicine. Um, and every firefighter, every police officer, every paramedic will tell you that their main job is to prevent a problem. So uh, we will be taking the situation very seriously. Um, everybody will wear a mask, all the instructors, all the volunteers, all the vendors. All the vendors and the instructors will be screened and will be taking their temperature before they come in. Um, and we will be socially distancing. We have sanitation stations set up throughout uh, the event. And uh, we've enlarged our classroom. We've moved our casting classes outside. And, you know, we think it will be a very safe thing. I have been um, coordinating with the... Uh, City of the Sea Health Department, and actually, I live just outside of Washington D.C. I live in Warrington, Virginia, and um, I have access to some um, federal resources where I'm dealing with with people in the medical field on a federal level that are also giving me some advice, and they have assured me that what we're doing uh, is safe. So uh, we just ask everybody to wear a mask. And come and enjoy yourself and just use some common sense and, and we're all going to have a good time. And, and I would just say that uh, if, you, if you are anxious or you're concerned, then take a year off. Stay at home. You know, we don't want to encourage somebody to come and, and, and not have a good time. On the other hand, if you're interested, if you're ready to connect with fly fishing and with some other people and get together with other people in a safe way and talk about fly fishing and drink some Texas handcrafted beer, come on to the city of Mesquite because we're going to be getting it on February 27th and 28th at the Texas Fly Fishing and Brew Festival. Bo, that sounds great. That sounds great. Um, so I, we, I don't think we've officially announced yet on the podcast, but Honey Hole Angling is going to be there. Yeah. Um, we are going to have a booth there. And then I'm also going to be doing two speaking engagements, one on Saturday and one on Sunday. So um, I think if anybody wants to come see us there and say hi and hang out, then that would be great. But, Bo, what um, what other speakers are going to be there? Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, we have a diff- little different philosophy. I mean, we yes, we do go get national speakers, but we also believe uh, strongly in having regional speakers, and then maybe speakers people have never heard of, like me. Doesn't mean that they're not. Doesn't mean that they're not a good speaker. It just it, everybody needs to get experience, right? Yeah. And what I like about fly fishing. Uh, the, the most famous fly fishing personality in the world, Lefty Cray, told me one time, he said, Bo, I'll never forget this. He said, Bo, there are only two kinds of people involved in fly fishing, and only two. 
people that show their knowledge and then people that share their knowledge. And you want to be around the latter and you want to avoid the former like the Mm -hmm. plague. (laughs) And I never forgot that. That's really great. Uh, And, and I was honored to have Lefty uh, at my festival in Virginia many, many years. I, I made big points with him the very first time I hired him and had him come out to uh, the Virginia Flyfish and Wine Festival. I sent his wife flowers. And I just sent her his wife, Ed, flowers. And I said, thanks for sharing Lefty with us for the weekend. <laughs> well, the festival was Saturday and Sunday. He calls me on Monday and he goes, I've been doing shows Lifetime. Uh oh. Did we lose him? Uh, the next time you want me somewhere, you just tell me where. <laughs> so, you know, we, we, we want to share our knowledge. We don't want to just show it. So, having said that, uh, one of the cool things that we're going to be doing this year, uh, we want to make this something that anybody would be interested in coming to, not just hardcore flyingers. We don't want. We want to bring new people into the sport. So uh, we've got Peter Botcher, who is a German-trained master brewer. He's going to be given a class on Saturday for about an hour called Beer Making 101. And it's with your admission fee. You just pay your admission fee, and then you walk into Peter's class, and he's going to spend about an hour uh, talking about how to make beer. And then you can ask him all kinds of questions you know, during the class and after the class. On Sunday, John Bunnell, who's an executive chef, will be teaching a class or, or will be giving a gourmet cooking demonstration on how to cook redfish. Oh. So it so you will get to learn from a nationally recognized expert who is a chef the right way to cook redfish. And sometimes, you know, you can learn a lot from somebody by learning what not to do to make your life a little easier. So John, we're very happy to have John Bunnell there on Sunday. Of course, Christian Cole from Tailwaters will be there, um, and he will be talking in the Bourbon and Bass Bug class and also talking to people in the booth. Mike DeRosa, who is a guy in upstate New York, will be talking about um, uh, fishing for a big brown trout uh, and salmon that he fishes for in New York. Uh, Pat Dorsey, who is a well-known guide uh, and author, will be there from Colorado uh, talking about uh, fishing the South Platte. And then he'll also be giving a specialized paid class on uh, tail race fisheries. Uh, Tad Force from Arkansas will be there. Um, uh, he'll be talking about the White River. Uh, and Tad is uh, he's kind of an understated guy. And he, he knows a lot about smallmouth. So while he'll be talking about the, the White River and how you can catch trout, he's also very, very knowledgeable with smallmouth. Uh, one of the other classes that we have that's new this year uh, is called um, uh, Grandpa- Outdoor Grandparents 101. And Jerry Hammond and his wife, Patty, will be giving a class designed for grandparents on how to get their kids and maybe involved in the outdoors. And Jerry, who is a, a guide on the Brazos River part-time, uh, will also be given a class which was wildly popular last time he gave it, called A Man, A Fly Rod, and A Cop. 
And uh, Jerry is just a hoot and a wealth of knowledge. Um, Chris Johnson from Living Water Fly Shop will also be there. He'll be given um, a paid class uh, on, on cichlids. His other class on fly fishing Colorado is already sold out. There are no more seats left. Mm. But there are seats for his class on, uh, on cichlid fishing. I think it's called Texas Natives. Landon Mayer will also be here. Uh, Landon is headquartered out of Colorado. He'll be given a, a class uh, on uh, giant trout, which is a specialized class. And then he'll be also doing casting demonstrations. And he and Chris both will be will be rotated through the uh, fly tires uh, theater too. Okay. Uh, Wayne McGee with a lot flies will be here talking about. Um, uh, catching salmon and what it's like to fish in Alaska. Tim O'Neill, who's the owner of Norvice, will be here doing demonstrations in his booth on fly tying. He'll be going through the fly tires booth, and he'll also be giving a class on uh, fly fishing for, um, for carp. Ken Pinnock uh, with Viva Outdoors. He also works uh, as a customer service rep for Temple Fork Outfitters. Kim and Madison Scarborough who works for Taylor's will be giving a class on women and the future of fly fishing. And I think that's going to be, uh, that's going to be pretty popular. It's given both days. Carly Rowland out of Idaho, who works for Trout Hunter Lodge on the Henry's Fork will be uh, given a class on the Henry's Fork. And she will all be also be doing a paid specialty class on becoming an independent woman angler. I think that's great, Bo. I mean, it sounds like it's it's a, a jam-packed event with a lot of cool and speakers and, and different, different things. As There's well. a lot of variety. Yeah. A lot of variety, which I think is great. A lot of different areas of the U.S. are presented. There's beer. There's uh, bourbon. Um, there's cooking. Um, yeah, that cooking class sounds pretty great. Yeah, I think I think it's going to be pretty great. Well, I think we knocked out the business portion uh, out pretty well let's uh let's get into the fun stuff um how, how did you get into fly fishing uh well oddly enough um i was uh, a relatively young paramedic i was a sergeant working on medic 32 for fairfax county and i got a call for trouble breathing to burke lake and i picked up this uh older gentleman who had been stung by a bee and was having trouble breathing and i and he had a, a few heart irregularities, nothing major, but uh, given his age and the fact that he was having a little trouble breathing and some heart irregularities, I, I suggest we go to the hospital. So he agreed. And we're on our way to the hospital, and I'm just trying to, you know, have a little bedside manner and I'll chat with him a little bit. And I said, uh, were you, uh, you know, were you fishing? And uh, he said, no, I was just out walking around. And, I, and and he asked me, he said, do you fish? I said, well, I fish a little bit. He said, well, well, I fly fish. I said, man, I'd love to learn how to fly fish. And he said, well, I'll tell you what, um, can, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. And you got to understand, he's about 70, and I'm probably 25 at this point. Uh -huh. he, squints eyes, he squints his eyes, and he says, son, do you golf? And I said, um, nope, no, 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 sir, I, I don't, I don't want to golf. He said, that's good, son, because you can't afford to golf and fly fish. <laughs> <laughs> so what I didn't know was, uh, he was Bob Guess. 
he was the most one of the most famous popping bug manufacturers in the country. Oh yeah. I had I had no idea who I was with. It's kind of like the ground off poor people. It's like going out on the golf course and some guy walks up to you and says, Hey, you want some help with your swing? And you go, Yeah, and you spend the afternoon with the guy whacking balls and he and he tells you his name is Arnold, and you don't know till the end of the day you've been playing golf with Arnold Palmer, right? <laughs> I, I, who I was with. And uh, Bob Guess uh, was was a very well-known popping bug manufacturer. Uh, bought me my, took me to Dance Sporting Goods in Petersburg, Virginia. Bought me my first fly rod. Wow, that's awesome. Me fly fish. We went right back to Burke Lake where I picked him up <laughs> at the 911 call about a week later, and I caught my first bluegill on a popping bug. And I was like, oh my gosh, I got to get some of this. I was just, I was done. Yep. I, one fish, one fish on a fly rod, three forks in my back, I'm done. That is awesome. <laughs> that is one of the That's coolest. That is one of the coolest uh, how'd you get into fly fishing stories I think we've heard so I think far. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and, and I'll be honest with you, I really didn't think about it at the time, but it really helped my head because I was working on a mobile intensive care unit. We would run anywhere from three to eight critical calls a day. And we were going to shootings and stabbings and electrocutions and car wrecks and burn victims and suicides and. You know, fly fishing helps you get out of yourself. Yeah. And and I have to be transparent here. Um, I I listened to your show, and I I really enjoyed your interview with Steve uh, Martinez, and and um, I really enjoyed listening to him. And I under I could really relate to how he was talking about fly fishing helping you air out your head. And really get kind of connected in nature and not be thinking about what's going on around you. Because like Steve, I've seen a lot of death. A lot of death. And I have seen things that I cannot unsee. And I've heard things that I will hear until I go into glory. Right? I cannot unhear them. But fly fishing helped me keep my sanity. And it really made a huge difference uh, in my life, and I and I really enjoy it. And I've just met the most amazing people uh, in the fly fishing industry. And uh, I, I'll be honest, I don't know how I got here. I don't know how I went from knowing nothing, and I do mean nothing, about fly fishing. And Twenty years later, writing guidebooks and running significantly large fly fishing events in Virginia and Texas. And, and writing for multiple national magazines. I don't know how I got here. I just, I didn't plan it. It just worked out that way. I, an intervention. Bo, I have a question. I think what you said, and I'm glad you listened to Steve's podcast. That was that was great, and I appreciate your comments there. Um, you, you mentioning that you live up in Virginia and you run a show there and here. What made you want to put an event on in Texas even though you don't live here? Uh, well... The short and the long of it is, um, I, I was running the event in fest, uh, the festival in Virginia, and uh, Rick Pope with Temple Fork Outfitters, who was a co-founder, or excuse me, the founder of Temple Fork Outfitters, came to the festival a couple of years in a row. And one afternoon, he said, "Hey, Bo, I'm going to have lunch. Let's have lunch tomorrow." And this is at the festival. Now Saturday is crazy. 
right? We got 14 different things going on on Saturday. So Sunday afternoon, all the cakes are worked out and everything's fine. And Rick said, hey, let's have lunch tomorrow. And I said, okay. So I'm sitting at the bench, picnic table, and he says, have you ever thought about going anywhere else? I said, what do you mean? He said, this is a fantastic concept. I go to fly fishing events all over the country. I've never seen anything like this, ever. There are more women than I've ever seen. There are more kids than I've ever seen. You can feel the buzz. You've got to go somewhere else. And I'm like, I I don't know, Rick. Because at the time, I was still working full-time for Fairfax County, Mm. which was was 56 hours a week. I was writing for three national magazines. I had a wife and two kids. And I was running the Virginia Fly Fishing and Wine Festival. So the the idea of trying to go somewhere else was just out of the question. Fast forward a year later, exact same thing happens. We have lunch. He hits me again. He says, look, you really need to think about going somewhere else. And I said, well, look, it never occurred to me to do another one, ever. Where do you think I should go? And he said, well, maybe you should think about Texas. And I said, okay. And uh, there's another gentleman named Ben Ferenc who runs the fly fishing shows, very successful, very well done events. And I made up my mind that if I if I was going to do another event, I didn't want to go to a state that he was already in. You know, it's kind of like fishing behind somebody. I didn't want to do that. I, I wanted to break my own ground, go to my own area. And I looked around and Texas seemed like a really good, a really good place to have a fly fishing event. Mm-hmm. So uh, I spent two years doing research, and I let you in a little secret. I'm, I'm kind of telling tales out of school. I wanted to do the Texas Fly Fishing and Wine Festival. That was my vision there. Mm-hmm. But I was surprised that the fly fishing industry, excuse me, the wine industry in Texas had zero interest. I, I called winery after winery after winery zero less than zero interest and i just mentioned to my wife but see i'm really discouraged i think this thing will work i know it works in virginia i don't know anybody i knew like three people in the entire state of texas now fortunately one of them was rick pope but i but i I knew almost no one and and you know in the fly fishing community you got to prove yourself to everybody Mm -hmm. and uh and i was just complaining to my wife that it just wasn't going anywhere and she she looked at me and she said honey you're in Texas. Why are you dealing with wineries? Why don't you talk to the breweries? And as soon as she said that, it was like a light bulb went off in my head. And I started calling the breweries and, you know, they took to it like a duck to water. <laughs> um, I mean, it was like, it was like calling up a fat man and offering free donuts. You know, it was, uh, it was an easy, it was an easy introduction. And, uh, this year we have four corners who has been with us from the very beginning. Jeremy Callis and also Tufts. Um, uh, Keith uh, Baker at Tufts has been a huge supporter from day one. I don't think I spent, I don't think I talked to Keith more than five. I'm not joking. More than five minutes before he said I'm in. I think mm. it's a great idea. So uh, Tufts from McKinney will be there. Uh, also, we will have Sweetwater. You know, they're headquartered in uh, Atlanta, but they have mm-hmm. a big brewery in Austin. Uh, but but Sweetwater is a huge supporter. 
of uh, clean water in the fly fishing community. And this year we've got a new brewery, Hop and Sing, uh, out of Grapevine. And uh, also, as I mentioned before, Treaty Oaks Distillery. Now, here's how it works. Uh, you come in, admission is $20 for the day. You walk in, you pay your admission fee, you go anywhere you want to go, take any general class you want to take, sit through any lecture you want to sit through, as many as you want to sit through, talk to all the vendors, but you can also go to the breweries and taste the beer at their individual booth and get educated by the brewery about why the beer is made the way it is, why it tastes the way it does, and why you might like it. Like, I really like dark beer. I'm a huge stout fan. Oh, I'm right there with you, Bo. So, I'm, I like it. If, like, if you can see through the glass, I'm not really interested in drinking it. <laughs> 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 my, wife, my wife is, is, uh, is Scottish, and uh, the first date we went on, you know, I think I was drinking something like Rolling Rock, right? And I said, can I get you a beer? I'll never forget. She said, she said, no, if you can see through the glass and it's, I'll never forget this first day. If you can see through the glass and it's beer, it's a kid's drink. <laughs> I mean, dude, she stopped, she stamped my man card right there. <laughs> first day. Right. So I've, I've really got interested in, in scalps. Um, I really like uh, Tufts full grown, uh, uh, full grown scallywag, uh, and I also like uh, the frigid, uh, uh, which is in uh, Hop and Sting. But mm-hmm. you can go up to the different breweries, taste the different beers, uh, and, it, and that's included in your admission fee. You can go to the distillery tent and talk to Lee Ferner and Jamie Beal at Treaty Oak uh, about bourbon and try their try uh, tasting but there is there will be a bar there and you can try a beer that you like and then simply walk over and buy whatever you know whatever beer you want to buy or whatever bourbon you want to try and then take it around with you uh at the facility now i do need to say that uh everybody in my organization that's in the fly fishing festival that's on staff Without exception, nearly every one of them is a cop, a fireman. They're in the military, former military, or married to somebody in the military. So we are very um, highly organized, very orderly, and we run a really tight ship. I think when I mean a tight, when, when I mean a tight ship, I mean if I'm at the event and I see somebody who's a little loud. Because maybe they've had a little too much, or I think they've had a little too much. I walk over and I'm going to say, "Hey, Ian, I'm glad you're having a good time. You know, we got women and kids here. You need to kind of take it easy." Ninety-nine times out of a hundred, that's it. I never hear another word. Mm-hmm. If for some reason Ian decides to say something back, well, I have to come back a second. I don't know where Ian's going to be, but it won't be at my festival. Well, <laughs> I, I think that's and, I think that's great. So, I mean, but it's so much fun. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, there is no reason that you couldn't bring your kid here. I mean, I have children. I will not run an event. I absolutely will not run an event where my daughter 
or my wife or my son wouldn't feel completely mm-hmm. comfortable. Right. 100%. Mm-hmm. We are very, very, we are vigilant about safety. Um, one thing I forgot to mention, you were asking me about COVID. One of the things that we did was we actually exceeded the fire code. So there's a certain amount of width you have to have for your aisles. We exceeded what the fire department even required mm. because we want as much room for people to spread out and feel comfortable as possible. And it's just a great opportunity for people to come and enjoy themselves. And uh, I think people are really, really going to like it. It, it. I can tell you the very first fly shop I went into, I went into the name of the fly shop did not indicate that it was a fly shop, a very generic name. I walked in with a spinning reel and asked for help. And I left that fly shop thinking I never, ever want to be around another fly angler. If that's what fly fishing is, I don't want to be around another fly angler the rest of my mm-hmm. life. About five years later is when I ran into Bob Guest and he took me into fly fishing. And I met all kinds of marvelous people that would do anything for you in the fly fishing community. And I remember that experience and I remember being talked down to, and I despise that. And that's why our ethos at the fly fishing festival is to bring new people in that don't do anything. And as Lefty Craig said, share our knowledge. And because if they don't enjoy the outdoors, if you don't, understand how important a river is Mm -hmm. why did you protect it right we have to show people that the river has a value other than just it's pretty to look at right it's got clean water it's got the but it's it's not just you know oh look it's pretty no Mm -hmm. it needs to be healthy too Absolutely. And, but people aren't going to expect more than something that they're not interested in. So we make it fun. People learn at their own. Uh, people learn at their own pace. And you know what you do with good, clean water? You make beer and bourbon out of it. <laughs> That's exactly right. Hey, Bo, I want to ask you two more questions. We're, we're running low on time, but two more sure. questions for you. Um, our, our second question we always ask everyone is, uh, what's your most memorable fish you've caught on the fly? Um, I would say, I would say, wow, that's hard. I would say two off the top of my head. One was when I landed, um, well, I didn't land it. I got it up to the boat and then we unhooked it was, uh, I caught a, a about a six and a half foot long, 125 pound black tip shark. Oh, on a TFO 10 weight. Uh, it took me about an hour to get the fish. I was going to say, a shark, that sounds like a ride. I, I was done. I needed a cigarette when I was finished, and I don't smoke, right? <laughs> uh, and then prior to that, uh, on one of my very first outings, I actually got to fish the Deschutes. I was very, very new. I was very young in the fishing. It was probably probably only the third or fourth time I'd ever fished for trout. I almost always fished for bass. I was walking in the Deschutes River <laughs> waving, and I stepped into a hole. And then I backed up, and I thought, man, I'm lucky I didn't drown. And then it occurred to me, wait a minute. Wait a minute. If the topography of the river has changed and there's a hole there, I bet that's a really good place for fish. Mm-hmm. So I walked back up the river about 15 feet, 
and floated my nymph through the very hole I just fell in and landed a wonderful uh, red band Deschutes trout. And I'll never forget it. It wasn't a huge fish, but I will never forget it was the first time I could ever remember putting the pieces together. Yeah, the light bulb turning on. Exactly yeah. right. And I'll never forget that fish. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, from from reading your um, introduction, uh, I'm curious about your investigative work on bonefish management in the Bahamas. Uh, what exactly did you do? Well, uh, at the time, I was doing research on uh, bonefish and the regulations that they were trying to put in place on whether they were going to have catch and release if you could keep keep a fish, you know, could you keep just one? Uh, they were talking about how to regulate the guide service there. And if the guides had to be Bahamian, if you were, uh, if you had a boat, at one point, I mean, it was kind of crazy. You could be there, have your own boat, but could not go fishing without a Bahamian guide mm. in your own boat. So, but a lot of that got straightened out. Um, I have not revisited it late uh, as of late, but um, I have a really unusual approach as an outdoor writer, whether I'm writing about bonefish management or I'm writing about menhaden, which is a saltwater species in Virginia that's, that's harvested for oil, but it's great forage fish, or I'm writing about river bottom ownership, which is something I've written a lot about. I have a very unusual approach, and my unusual approach is I interview the landowner, and I interview the angler, and I don't take a side. Mm -hmm. It's not my job as a writer to tell you what to think. And if I have one big beef with the outdoor writing community, we think we're supposed to lecture people and tell them what to believe. Mm Mm-hmm. That's not my job. As an outdoor writer, my job is to try to find the facts and then present those facts dispassionately so you can decide on your own what the truth is mm-hmm. or perhaps what your perspective is. So um, I am ruthlessly impartial, and uh, I, I get interviews that other people don't get. <laughs> and I, um, I, I'll never forget the time I got a phone call one night from a game warden and I didn't give out my number. <laughs> he called me and said, is this Bo Beasley? And I said, yes, it is. He said, you're the guy that's been writing about the Jackson river and the river bottom ownership, and Kings grants and stuff like that. And I said, yes, I am. He said, well, and he didn't tell me his name. He said, but he told me what he did. He said, well, I think you need to look into this river and this river and this area. And I'm like, wow, you got to be doing something right when law enforcement calls you and tells you you might want to look over here. Mm-hmm. So, but, I, but you know, I'm, I'm very passionate about that. And, and I think uh, we as anglers often have an entitlement attitude. And we think because we have a fishing license, we can go wherever we want. And that's just not true. Uh, Texas is unique. I, I've done a fair amount of research on Texas, not nearly as much as I have on other states. And Texas is quite unique. Uh, there's very little public property. 
unlike a lot of other states because of the history of the state, because of the Spanish land mm-hmm. grant, Mexican land grants. Um, but there's a lot of a lot of good corroboration, a lot of good partnerships between Texas Parks and Wildlife and the and the uh, uh, public, uh, excuse me, private landowners down there. So I've enjoyed writing. I, I like writing about really hard stuff. Um, I had a piece come out in Strung about a year ago on some disputed land in Montana, and I'll probably be following that up mm-hmm. uh, with other, with some other pieces. But I just think. As an outdoor writer, uh, writing about contentious issues, if you're going to write about something, you need to inform people. Mm-hmm. You need to be objective, not tell them what they often think. Yeah, for sure. They, you should treat them like they have a brain and present the facts dispassionately and let the reader make up their own mind what they think rather than tell them what they should think. Mm-hmm. Well, Bo, uh, I appreciate your words and uh, everything that you've told us about the event. I think it's going to be really great time, and uh, uh, we're going to go and have a great time. Uh, and uh, we are out of time for the interview. I wish we could keep you longer, but uh, uh, we don't want to go too long. Um, but we, we appreciate you coming on, and uh, we look forward to seeing you at the event. Yeah, Bo, thank, well, thank you, you so, so much. much. Thank you so much. If uh, if your readers want to learn more, they can just go to www.txflyfishingfestival.org. That's txflyfishingfestival.org. Look at the website. That's great. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll be there February 27th and 28th in the city of Mesquite. That's great. And we'll link it in our podcast notes, too, so people can just direct link to it. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me tonight. I really Of course. Thanks, Bo. And uh, I hope to come back sometime in the future. Yeah, oh, yeah. For sure. Bro. For sure. And we'll, if, we'll we see- ever, if we ever made it up to Virginia, we'll have to go fish, too. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And listen, I, I'd like to invite you guys right now. If you're ever up this way in January, I'd love to have you as my guest. You guys could come and, and do a show in Virginia at the Virginia Fly Fish. Did we lose you? That's an interview up here, and uh, it, it would be uh, it would be a lot of fun. Just about just as a point of reference, our our fly fishing event in Virginia is triple the size to one in Texas right mm. now. Oh man! Wow! But it's twenty years old. The right. one in Texas this year is only our fourth year, mm-hmm. and it is growing like crazy. Matter of fact, we had to move to Mesquite to get a bigger facility to <laughs> get everybody in the building. Yeah. That's a good problem so, to have. That's though. a good we're problem to have. Yeah, we're we're really looking forward to being in Mesquite. Yeah, and we'll uh, we'll chat more about Virginia soon. Okay, thanks again for having me, guys. I really appreciate it, and I look forward to seeing you guys. Uh, at the festival uh, at the end of this month. Yeah, us That's, too. That sounds great. Absolutely. Cool. All right, Bo. Have a good night. Thanks, fellas. Tight All lines. Right. Tight lines. Yeah, tight lines. lines. We'll see you later. All right, guys. Well, I hope you enjoyed the interview. Uh, yeah. We hope to see you guys at the event. Yes. We forgot last week, Ian, uh, to close with words of wisdom. Do you have some wisdom for our listeners this week? Yeah. Um, the wisdom would be. Man, if people are yelling you at you from the shore where you're fishing, just get some really chill but aggressive <laughs> hippies on your side. <laughs> because 
They're just good people. (laughs) (laughs) That's great advice, Ian. All right. All right, guys. Well, um, thanks for listening. Uh, (laughs) Whoa. Hit the wrong button. (laughs) Thanks for listening. (laughs) We'll see you guys next week. We'll see you all next week. (laughs) Go Chiefs. (laughs) 